I cap my work week at 15 hours. That's the limit. Whatever I have to do, like a great artist with constraints, like they're constrained by the canvas perhaps, I've got to fit what I do into 15 hours a week. And my game is how much leverage can I find? How much profit can I bring from my business by structuring it the right way and having the right customers on the right programs, the right partnerships and doing the right activities to make that business flourish. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hey, listeners of the podcast, we've put together an exciting community where you can dive deeper into the content of every single episode. And for those of you who join this community from the podcast, we'll give you an access to a course we've just put together worth $500 all yours for free, while we're sending this out to our listeners of the podcast. Simply go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash podcast to be eligible to get this course for free, and we look forward to seeing you in the community. Thanks again for listening, and now, enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling With Love podcast. Super excited to have a friend and an amazing guest that's going to be joining me today. Known him for almost a decade now. We've had a chance to connect at a live conference back in Dominican Republic. This man was so incredible as an attendee, a man that's always ready to seize an opportunity. He was attending a conference, and they were looking for an extra speaker. And he ended up having a conversation, sharing all of the things that he had done to grow exponentially by using content marketing, by using blog and as he was sharing this they said wow this would be an amazing thing to share at a business conference would you like to jump on stage and the man did what was necessary basically rolled up his sleeves prepared a presentation jumped on stage and was one of the best speakers of that event it was absolutely fantastic to see james shramko is the founder and ceo of Superfaz business silver circle and hosts a podcast that is self-titled james shramko podcast super excited to have him here because he's trained thousands of entrepreneurs to make six, seven, and eight figures in their business. But the key thing that I love about the way that he operates is not about working those 80 hours a week. He's done that. He's had success in his career as Australia's number one car salesman. He's seen himself burn out and see what's the point of all of this if you do not even have the balance or the lifestyle of what you're trying to create. There's got to be better ways. The man has taught me numerous things when it comes to being more efficient, delegating, working with virtual assistants as well, and just being an amazing person when it comes to teaching and mentoring some entrepreneurs in the process. And you get to have him on the podcast today. James, welcome. And it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much. That's a fantastic introduction. (laughs) And it's really interesting to hear your version of events to how that went down. That event was a lot of fun. Gosh, that presentation stood out for me because I built it all night in my room and a couple of times my keynote crashed and I lost the whole thing after like three or four hours into it and had to rebuild it. And I really just made the deadline to get to the room and to load it to the audio visual desk just in time. 
I remember you actually starting your presentation and sharing those struggles, but you knocked it out of the park. And this was entrepreneur back in the day. And everyone, the who's who of online marketing were there. Like we were amongst giants at that event and you were able to seize that opportunity, put yourself on stage. Now I wanted to speak from an entrepreneur side, like for you to be able to seize an opportunity at an event to jump on stage while you knew all the giants were there. Was that worth your time? Like what were some of the things that happened given that you decided I'm going to put in the work and jump in anyways? It's always been like that. There's actually been a couple of occasions. I've done this actually three times where I've spoken at events that I wasn't scheduled to speak at. I did it at the underground event that Yannick Silva used to run, Underground 4 it was. I still had a job when I did that. I did it at Traffic and Conversion Summit and I did it at Zentrepreneur. Each time... I'm placed on a platform amongst, I guess, people who are further advanced than me or might be at a similar peer level and I get attention and awareness from people who count. And sometimes it's not the people you think who are your audience. I'll give an example. When I spoke at an event in Australia a couple of years ago, there was I think about six or 700 people in the room but my target audience really were the other speakers and the event organisers. And they were the ones who came to me afterwards and came on board. And yes, it can turn into tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of revenue. But it's about being clear who your audience actually is and which part of the audience you want to appeal to and how you can help those people. And when you get a crowd like Zentrepreneur, and I think that's largely thanks to your involvement in it, These are motivated people. They've flown to another country. They've put aside time in their schedule. They've paid money to be at this event. I absolutely got some fantastic relationships from that. I think a few of them, I'm going to tell you at least one of them, was a connection through my friend Andre Chaperon. I got introduced to Ryan Levesque and I was fortunate enough to coach him from $1 million per year through to the $10 million per year mark. So I coached him for many years. And through his network, that just compounded and snowballed into many, many opportunities. So you can take a small event. It was actually that, it was a moment, it was in the bar the night before and I had a short conversation with Vishen Lakiani and ended up on the stage the very next morning in his spot. Despite the protest of his assistant who said, no, Vishen, that's not in the schedule, this can't happen And I said, yes, it can. It's fine. I'll be great. Went back to my room and built it. And I came to the room earlier than everyone else and gave my presentation to the AV deck. And I just got mic'd up and went up on the stage and I was ready to go no matter what, just in case anyone changed their mind. I remember because I was the guy at the AV deck. So you've given me a bit too much credit because at that time, it's interesting. I had just started at Mind Valley, And so I was brought into that event and I started running it from that moment on. But to get that room filled together, that was not to my credit, but I was there. And I remember you showed up early and my God, if there's one thing about running events and dealing with diva speakers, like they'll show up late, they'll be unprepared, they'll expect the world. I remember you showing up early, you know, being kind, taking care, like treating everyone really well. And that really stands out as an event producer. I also want to pick up on something that I think most people don't realize is when they start thinking about where their target market is hanging out and then injecting yourself into that conversation. And in your case, it sounds like it was very clear that when you go to these conferences, 
the other speakers are your target market. And that's what they're hanging out. They're getting invited to speak at these events. So you get to actually inject yourself and kind of put yourself in front of them where other people are maybe trying to do cold outreach. They're trying to do direct messaging. And now you're just one out of thousands trying to reach out. Now you found the way that you can actually get into those real conversation, invest to go to these events because they're your target market. I wanted you to share more about how important it is when you teach your entrepreneurs about being clear on who they target and where they hang out. Well, it's such a massive thing because a lot of people are struggling because they haven't got an offer that converts properly yet. And that means they don't have cash flow coming in, which means they can't hire this magical team that everyone talks about is going to run your business for you. And so it all starts with your offer. And when it comes to your offer, you can you can choose who you make your offer to. And a lot of people take the low ticket, mass market, sort of entry level part of the market because it's a broad base. There's a lot of people in that market, but it's also saturated. So by deliberately saying, you know what, I'm going to just not take anyone in the low the low tier. I don't want to do startups. I don't want to do people who are not yet proven. And a, and a comment that one of my mentors um, shared with me comes to mind. He used to say, you can't steer a parked car. So if I'm going to coach people who are just starting out on the journey, I don't know if they've even got an engine yet. But if I only work with people who are on the freeway doing 80 in a 100 zone and I know they've got five gears in their gearbox and they don't know how to use them, that's really easy for me to coach. And they get delighted when they learn how to change, you know, to fourth and fifth and start overtaking. Uh, So being very deliberate about who you're able to solve problems for is good. There's a few sort of extra dimensions. If you can solve problems for a group of people uh, rather than just one-to-ones, if you can solve big problems... Uh, then you can get paid more. So big problems have big solutions. Big solutions often cost more. So we're dealing with more people with a bigger solution. Um, It's ideal if you can access these people. So that's what we talked about. When I'm at the speaker's dinner or in the green room preparing with the other speakers and then it's basically there's the us and them kind of scenario going on. There's the people who pay to attend and then the people who are there as the talent to present. And like it or not, there is that sort of hierarchy. And then the next thing is they need to know you exist. So getting up on a platform automatically identifies you. You stand out from from basically completely obscure to up front and centre. And then they have to believe that you can get them a result. So that's about showing proof and building trust. And then you have to make it clear to them how they could go ahead and do business with you. And if you can do that well, then the only real thing that has to happen after that is you actually have to be able to get them a result. So one thing that I've always been very careful about is making sure that I focus on an audience who I can actually help get a result. And sometimes, and you probably know this from sales, is it's about disqualifying people who might not be a good fit. So it takes a bit of discipline to do this, especially if you're up and coming and especially if you need to pay that mortgage or whatever. Um, You may not be as selective in the beginning, but over time, if you can be a little bit selective and only work with people who you can really help and you identify by sort of back data testing all the customers you've ever had, who were the very best customers by literally scoring them and then proactively looking for more just like them, now you've got a fantastic business model. Amen to that. Yeah, this I think is key. But you're right to speak about at the early stages, you might not have 
at least in your mind, you do not feel like you have that luxury because you just basically want to get more case studies. You'll take anything that throws money towards you. But there's also this concept of earning the right to serve the people at that level. I think it's very comfortable to be able to serve people that are a few steps behind you. But if you're trying to sell to other people that maybe you're equal or even are larger, and I mean, when you're dealing with people that are maybe already running six, seven, eight figure businesses, that concept of being able to be helpful to those people when you're just getting started might not even exist in your mind. Has that been a struggle you've had at the beginning or were there certain things that you did so that the moment you interact with, you know, the Ryan Levesque and the Andre Chaperones, which are also guests that have been on this podcast, that you're just like, yeah, I'm the man for the job and I can bring you results. I didn't struggle with it because, you know, in my second last full-time role, I was running a $100 million per year business with 100 staff. And it was a complicated business because we sold stock, we sold time, we sold money. And we did a wholesale and retail, we did local and international, and we we're working for a, so a small local business, but we we're also working for a global brand. So I learned so much. I literally spent decades in training. I got trained by the best of the best in recruitment, in branding, in selling, and I was out in the field working that hard. So by the time I arrived in the internet marketing scene, I realized just how many gaps there are. Like most of these people, they start their business from a, a college dorm or a small unit to the side of their retail job. They have no experience with many of the things they're going to have to master to be able to run a decent sized business. And I was the perfect person to help them with that because it was like, that was a walk in the park for me. I was even so blind to the things that I was particularly good at which were building a team, training a team, leading a team, is where a lot of these people get stuck. They can't scale past themselves. Hmm. Well, this would actually be a question I'd like to ask, and maybe it's a bit controversial or not, but do you feel like a lot of people that are getting dragged into being you know, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, or getting started maybe as a coach, that they haven't had enough of that mentoring, that internship period, like you went and had this amazing job, you were a high performer within your job. I feel like the whole ethos that's dragging people into the industry are saying, quit your job and live the life, but you haven't necessarily gotten the experience or you haven't earned the belts, you could say, to be able to go out there. Is there ways you can get that experience without having been in that position? Or do you think it's a necessary hurdle you should go through to earn the right? I do feel they need to be able to deliver a result. So I'm in fact, I mentioned that before because I'm so passionate about that. Like do not sell something you can't deliver, point blank. But how can you do it? The shortcut is you really only one me away from being able to help people because, I mean, I have clients who use me as their sounding board and their background mentor to bring them up to skill in any area they may have a gap. So I'm actually looking out for them. For example, I've helped people build a way better customer service delivery. I've actually point blank said to some of my students, hey, you know what? I don't think you're delivering a great result for your clients. I don't think you're giving them the service or the expectation that you've sold them on. You're not delivering that. You need to fix that. You need to increase your capacity to deliver a result. You need to make better onboarding. You need to throw some support at these people. You need to understand why people leave. You need to get on top of these reviews. And you need to stop selling this until you fix it. So I believe if they could just get guidance from someone who is strong in that and really use that resource, then they could certainly fast track the result without having to go and spend 20 years or read a couple of thousand books. So there is a shortcut, but you're probably going to have to buy that shortcut with money 
or time. Fair enough. Now, I know you are a big fan of earning back your time in the process if you're going to be starting a business. One of the things I appreciate the most about following you on the socials is that you speak a lot about your passions, surfing being the huge one, uh, and it's something you schedule time for yourself. You get to run these amazing businesses. You're creating content on a ton of different platforms, yet you still have a lot of that precious resource, which is time. And I'm wondering if that took a certain event that made you realize that that time was so important and you needed to find that balance because you seem like someone that could be very much drawn into just work, 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 hustle, 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 deliver results to an endless consumption of that time. Yet you seem to have designed an amazing lifestyle. I just want to hear like, how did it get there? Was that natural or did something happen? Definitely lots of little interventions. One was when I had a job, my last job, I was on a good salary, a really great salary. And a lot of people wouldn't even understand why I would quit that job. I was earning around $300,000 a year and I had a brand new Mercedes-Benz too, actually, in the driveway and a phone, a laptop, and I was adored by the people I worked with. And, you know, life was great. I'd achieve a lot of success and I was running the show, but I realised I was single source dependent for my income. I'm getting paid by one salary and that could dry up. And as it turns out, as we're recording this right now, the Mercedes-Benz dealers are suing Mercedes-Benz manufacturer in Australia with a $650 million law case for kind of cutting them out of the equation. So I very likely wouldn't have a job right now if I'd stayed put. In fact, I wouldn't. It just wouldn't have panned out. So I knew I had to fix that. So I did start working part-time on my job. So when I hear about hustle and grind, you know, I think there might be an occasion in your life where you will have to work extra hard or put in some extra effort with with little return. And I think the the um, analogy would be you might have to go out and cut down some trees and drag them back to your hut and light them before you get the heat from the fire. But if you cut down enough trees or you hire someone to go and cut them for you and you get them to stick them in your wood pile and then eventually you can get your caretaker to stack the fire and light it for you, you could enjoy heat all year round without ever having to fell another tree. So you might have to do things in the beginning that you don't have to do in the end. So when I was in that crossover period, I was effectively working a full-time job as a general manager and trying to teach myself how to build a website online back in from 2005 to 2008, this period. And it was tough and, and my, physically it was taking a toll. It was straining my relationship with my wife. It was, man, I didn't see my kids that much. I have four kids at this time. And I was physically starting to break down after 2.5 years of struggle. Eventually, I was able to meet my threshold, which was I wanted my online business to match my income. As soon as that happened, that was the trigger to leave the full-time job. And that was on the hypothesis, and that's all I had to go on, that I would be able to use some of that time, firstly to sleep and recover and get energized, but some of that time spent on my online business, I should be able to accelerate my online business faster. And that happened very quickly. And almost straight away, I got to $100,000 a month with my online business back in about July 2008. And it never stopped from then. It's been the most consistent business of anyone's business I've ever seen in terms of how stable and steady it is. And that's through tinkering with the strategy and the business model over many years and finding my core. 
But then the other things that happened were I went to a strategic coach conference and they were talking about buffer days. And at this stage, I was like most online entrepreneurs and, you know, my business is open 24-7 and I was working every day of the week. And they said, why don't you just take Sundays off? And I'm like, I guess I could try. (laughs) So I took Sunday off and then I took Saturday and Sunday off. And then with the encouragement of my wife, who really values my time more than anything else. Her love language with me is time with me. It basically, it ended up being that I work three days a week and have four days off. And on those three days that I schedule calls, so I'm talking about scheduled calls. Those three days I schedule calls, we get some overlap with childcare with my youngest daughter. And then the other four days, it's just family time. It's my wife, my daughter and I, all my other kids have grown up and they're out of home, which is great. And it's more important to me now that I cap my work week. I cap my work week at 15 hours. That's the limit. Whatever I have to do, like a great artist with constraints, like they're constrained by the canvas perhaps, I've got to fit what I do into 15 hours a week. And my game is how much leverage can I find? How much profit can I bring from my business by structuring it the right way and having the right customers on the right programs, the right partnerships and doing the right activities to make that business flourish from 15 hours a week. And of course, I need to be able to surf every day. That's really the baseline. If I can't surf every day, then I've failed to design my life in a way that works for me. That's incredible. And I know for a lot of people here that really is the dream. That's the the four-hour work week. Well, 15, I think four was a little ambitious <laughs> and just a great title. 15-hour <laughs> work week. Even there's a trial in Australia at the moment. A lot of companies are trialing four-day work weeks. And I do think, I put a lot of thought to this. You know, I studied people like Ricardo Semler. He's got seven-day weekend. I, of course, read Tim Ferriss's book. It was I still had a job and I had kids when I read it. So I was kind of saying, yeah, this is bullshit. <laughs> Have some kids and come back and write a four-hour work week, bro. <laughs> it was like I had to dismiss some of it as being a bit silly. But one of the founders really since Pareto after that was Richard Koch of the 80-20 principle. And I really started thinking about that more and more and thinking, knowing that it was fractal, I realized that I could push that to 64-4. And this 64-4 concept has really guided uh, a lot of the things that I do. And it's, you can apply it to every aspect of your life. Once you do this, it just, it just creates this open schedule. You know, like it's currently Wednesday as we record this and I don't have a single thing scheduled until next Monday. And that's how my week works every single week. And I love that. And it's always been possible. When I contrast that with... When I was a general manager working my online business at night, you know, I was worlds apart. I was easily doing a 100-hour work week, but I was making a fraction of my income. So it is possible to find leverage. You just have to be aware of the concept and then go look for it. That's fantastic. Now, you went through this period where you worked the hundreds of hours. Now you're at this point where it's the 15 and you talked about all these discoveries you've had in leverage. And I know in a previous conversation we've had, we talked a lot about the teams that you've built and the ways that you get these teams to work and take on these leveraged roles that can actually maximize your output in the process. Would you have some suggestion as to where should we start looking if we feel and hear 
what you just said and being like, no, no, everything I do, it has to have my touch into it. I don't think I could ever delegate that. And is it just a question of delegation? It's not a question of just delegation. It's possibly a question of deletion. I mean, if you think about 64.4, two-thirds of the results you're getting are likely coming from 4% of your inputs. Right? So if you were doing 100 things, you might be able to get rid of 96 of them off your to-do list to start with and just focus on four of them and you'll still end up with two-thirds of the income you're getting now. That's mind-blowing, really. So I would propose that a lot of the things that you're doing now or that you think you need to do, that's probably even more important, you don't have to do. This is super controversial, but I don't have a to-do list. I'm not keeping a project management tool. I don't have a whiteboard even at the moment. I don't need any of that anymore because I found my 4% that gets me the 64% result. So first step is be aware of all the things that you're doing and be aware of all the things that you think you should be doing and then put them through the ringer. What can you get rid of? Just delete. Once you're left with some things, then it's like, okay, try and score each thing by what the hourly rate would cost to hire someone to do it. And anything that's particularly low or very easy to hire for, you might want to start there with hiring people to help you. Um, The sorts of things that are very easy to hire for that have a pretty low rate would be things like customer support, website stuff, content stuff, sending email type stuff. These things can be procured very easily in the digital world. But then, of course, look around the home. Maybe you could hire someone to mow your lawn. Maybe you could hire someone to prepare food. There's even things called restaurants. (laughs) You know, like you could actually go to a place and they'll cook everything for you. Put some of these things into your schedule. Think about what sort of services might lighten the load for you on on the domestic front and the business front. And then hone in, like if you've already got a business and you've already got an offer and you've already got customers, it's much easier. Because what I do when I'm coaching people is, all right, okay, which are your best customers? Of the products you sell, which are the best products and which ones are costing you money to sell? Most people don't know these things until I ask them and they have to go and look at it and they come back in and say, wow, you know, I've still all this time and effort and energy to sell a $49 product and it makes up a fraction of my income and it's all my service load. I'm like, hey, stop selling it. Just turn it off. It no longer exists. And then they're like, oh, but what about the people who can let someone else serve those people? How about you look after the people who want to spend $5,000 a month and just go and find 10 of them and you've got a decent business and then you can afford to hire a team to look after these people properly so that you're not maxed out and overloaded and stressed. So yes, there is an element of delegation, but to do that, you're going to have to be a good leader. So you might have to work up to that. Absolutely love it. So you've spoken about leadership. You've spoken about having an offer and you're talking about making sure you're delivering on the results. Those are key things that I've already identified that you consider as the most important and I do agree with you. When we're looking at that 4%, is it refining on those or what are some of the things that you feel still usually remain in the 4% or does it change for every industry? Well, it's like, just think of it in, in simple terms, like who are your best customers? What is your best product? If you have a sales team, who's your best salesperson? If you do marketing, what's your best marketing channel? Like you need to know this and just go deeper on the things that are already working really well for you. I saw this in the sales team. This was a classic one. If you had 10 salespeople, one or two of them will be eagles. They'll be amazing. One or two of them will be 
turkeys. They'll be just like ridiculously bad, making mistakes, terrible with paperwork, not following up. And then there'll be a bunch in the middle, right, average. It's like any bell curve, a distribution curve. Most sales managers spend all their time trying to fix the turkeys when they should just get rid of them and spend all their time with the eagles and they would probably make five times more sales just by that one move. So my point here is you can do a lot more with a lot less if you just stop trying to service everything that you're trying to attend. Delete your to-do list. Figure out what are the absolute must-haves. You could think of it like a parachute exercise. If you're in the plane and you're only allowed to choose one type of customer, which one would you choose? If you could only have one marketing channel, if you could only have one product, which one would you choose? And go deeper on that. That winning combo, we're sort of leaning into the profit formula here. But by tuning each part of the equation, your leads, your conversions, your dollar sale amount, uh, the frequency of purchase and your margin, those things will sort of stack up into profit. And you can do this by product line. You can do it by sales channel, not just as a general lump sum. For everybody tuning in, if you're having a good time, enjoying everything being shared, I'm going to make sure that there is a link to James's podcast as well. I highly recommend for each and every one of you to go check it out, subscribe, listen to a few of the latest episodes and keep going deeper down this path. You'll learn a ton. I'm also going to make sure there's a link to the jameshramcoat.com. You have your book that just came out. You have the blog, which I know is something we talked about. You've been running this for over a decade now, and that speaks to the longevity that most people aren't ready to get interested in like you're talking about doing something for 10 years to see its success and I kind of wanted to ask on that because you've done the blogging and I know you're very successful on that your podcast you've had over 4.3 million downloads and that's looking amazing and from what I understand I think YouTube is a channel that you've just recently started getting into and getting involved with and so while you're tuning everything up and making things very optimized I sure you have some sort of formula to discover new channels or to seize new opportunities where we might not have as much data. And I wanted to understand what would be the decision process mindset you'd have to consider where you're going to put your energy into something new that will either generate more awareness, more trust, more traffic. Well, the answer is actually really simple, but hard to replicate. <laughs> the cheat code that I have is I'm heavily involved in the behind the scenes for a lot of heavy hitters who are just kicking ass. So I see what works before anyone else does. I can recognize patterns. As you said, since 2009, when I first opened my membership, I've consistently had between 300 to 500 members per year since 2009. So that's 13 years of answering questions daily, looking under the hood on people's businesses, checking their offers, their team, their products, the market. But even more so, it's since 2010, I've been coaching at the higher level, people who already have seven or eight figure businesses. And I've really watched what they're doing. And I see the trends there. And of late, of the last five and a half years, I've been in partnership with 10 businesses. So at the same time, I'm looking after 10 partners and making sure that I'm helping them tune it. So the short answer is I get access to data and I can benchmark and cross-pollinate best practice. It's something that Jay Abraham used to do and it's, it was his advantage. Now, how do you do that if you're not doing that directly? Then again, you can just get access to someone like me 
and then I share that information with you because I just basically point you to the gold. I'm like, okay, the gold is here. Dig 10 metres, use this shovel and you'll get the gold. And it can be that easy. If you want to try and figure it out yourself, absolutely go for it. I mean, I had to do a lot of this myself in the beginning. I, I had the hard path. And one of the reasons I wanted to help others is they shouldn't have to go through what I went through. You shouldn't have to be stressed out, overloaded, overworked. You should be able to just find someone who knows where the gold is. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm saying anything you want to do. If you want to go and open a donut store, go and find someone who has got donut stores or speak to five donut store owners and interview them about their donut store. Find out everything you can. Do your research. What do they love about it? What do they hate about it? Who are their best customers? What's the best day of the week? Which product sells the most? Where do they get their supply? How do they hire their staff? Or find someone who coaches donut stores because you'll get the short path to having success. Or most likely in that scenario, you'll decide you do not want a donut store. <laughs> well, I think that's something that I've noticed is so many people, especially if you're talking about the trend that I'm seeing is a lot of people being certified as coaches, right? And to be honest, it, it breaks my heart a little bit because there's some people that get taken for every little penny they have left. They get themselves an extreme debt to get through a certification of some sort of coaching and going on the promises from a very aggressive marketing strategy that someone presented, but have not been taking the steps to understand, okay, what did this look like? Have I been talking to people that have had success with it? And it's almost going through it blindly. Now there's some success stories, but I get to speak to a lot of them and not always the case. This whole aspect of running the business behind the coaching ends up being even more important than whatever it is the art of the coaching that they're doing. So you get certified, you still have zero clients, and now you're burning money, you're not generating revenue. And I find that's really unfortunate. That also speaks a bit to what you were saying is working with the people that can afford your product and service that can have success and trying to steer a parked car, very difficult. Yet I know through your marketing efforts, you get to indirectly help so many people. And I think that's something most people underestimate is when you focus on the people that pay you and that you can serve them and bring results, you end up having even more resources to create the marketing, which is the podcast, the blogging, all these resources that I find are so amazing and free that can help a lot of the people that you would consider maybe in a parked car situation. And I'd love to know, like, are there things that you've noticed are the most helpful things for somebody who might be listening to this going, oh God, Jason just described me. I might be that part car myself. What would you think would be the best things they could do to kind of get themselves in first gear and at least pressing on the gas and taking the brake off? Yeah, I mean, it's basically deciding that you want to go on that journey, that you want to be a car in motion and you have to be prepared to do the things it takes to get there. It's not going to be easy. There will be setbacks and challenges. To speak to your earlier point, you know, when I spoke to Gino Wickman, I think he suggested maybe only 6% of the population are suited to being entrepreneurs in the first place. Um, maybe 6 or 10%, either way, a very small percentage. It's not for everyone. I don't believe anyone can be successful in this field. You need a certain set of skills or determination or grit or perseverance or stick to You'll get some punches in the face, you know, metaphorically speaking, that you need to deal with. If you can get past that and you really want it and you're very motivated, I would say try and avoid desperation if possible. Before you quit your current job to get your marketing certificate or whatever, do it on the side and prove yourself and take the pressure off. One of the chapters in my book is about no compromise and I see compromise everywhere I look. People are so compromised and compromise leads to desperation and poor choices and 
it's not full of integrity. It is a compromise, right? And ideally you want to remove compromise. So if you can validate your offer, like what I did, I just helped everyone. I helped my local dry cleaner. I helped the roofing company. I helped my acting school teacher. Anyone I could find, I would try and run my marketing on them for their business for free even. I just wanted to get them. Then I actually started to do Contras where I actually got a smash repairer, a panel shop, a car repairer. I actually got him to buy me all the Dan Kennedy materials in exchange for me applying what I learned from those materials to his business. Ended up helping him get a Mercedes-Benz repair license, which was worth millions per year. So he got a great deal. I got all the materials that I wanted to get going. I didn't have to pay for them. It was a great deal for everyone involved. But if I helped these people win, if I was learning on the job, in my case, I did have a job where I was learning. I was getting exposure. I started my first AdWords campaigns, my first landing pages, my first video marketing, my first list building. They were still done while I had a job, but I actually went to the owner And because I have integrity, I said to the owner, I'm learning about online marketing. I'm paying for my own courses with my own money. I'm doing it outside of hours and I'm learning how to do it. And I'm applying everything I learn to the business as well. Are you okay with that? And he said, yeah, that sounds fine. And we built a database of 10,000 emails. We outranked the Mercedes-Benz version of our website by about a thousand percent. It wasn't even close. Mercedes-Benz came to me and said, can you show us how to fix our website? And I said, yes, I can. And I prepared this 18-page report, sent it off to head office, and guess what happened? Like any big bureaucratic company, it got shoved into the third drawer down by someone who was upset that they were being shown up and they completely dusted it. But I took that same schedule and I used it as a proposal to solicit a company and another car dealer to get my first two clients to be able to quit my job. So it turned into something positive. But basically, if you keep applying yourself and you keep pointing in the right direction, you'll get success, but it will be challenging. So I just want to let you know, it's, it's going to be an epic journey. But surround yourself with good people, but most importantly, and this is probably the best advice that I was given by my mentor, question everything question, is a certificate, is a little piece of paper on the back wall going to mean that a customer is ready to part with $10,000? And is it going to mean that you're qualified to help them? Question the marketer that's selling it to you. What do they actually do? Go and look for people who have done the, the training or the course and ask for people's results outside of the ones that are on the sales page. Any good provider should be able to provide you a bunch of names you could call up and you could speak to who have been through a program or a training or bought a service that could speak to it. Do your research. A little bit of research will get you a long way online. James, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I love what you're all about. I love the integrity that you show up in your business. I love how you deliver results for the people that you work with. Super, super excited to have you come and share with everyone here. If you are tuning in and you're enjoying this conversation, as I've mentioned, you can go to jamesramco.com. You're going to be able to find all the resources from the podcast and more importantly, work less, make more. The book by James actually is available for absolutely free. You're giving digital copies away for free. What are people going to get once they pick up this book? Because free sounds like a great deal right now. (laughs) They'll get the book. (laughs) It's it's as simple as that. I'm pretty sure they get the book as a PDF, they will most likely be offered a physical copy, which I don't make any profit on, by the way. I think I sell it for $10. Mm. 
and maybe an audio version as well. It's also on Amazon or Audible as well if you want to buy it, if it's part of how you consume. But I just wanted to give it away. Like I'm not at a stage in life where I need to scrape every dollar out of every transaction. I don't do launches. I don't have affiliates pimping my stuff at inflated prices. I haven't actually sold my high-level mastermind for the whole time, like 10 years. I've never actually marketed it. It's always been organic word of mouth referrals from clients who are already in it. And I stopped even offering places about three years ago. Occasionally someone busts down the door if it's a really good fit. But yeah, it's a good example of just doing a good product. Like one thing we didn't talk about so much is the business model, but my hint there is I've run my membership since 2009. If you can in any way, shape or form find a recurring subscription business model for what you do. And if you don't know if you can do it in your industry or whatever, that's fine. Send me an email and ask me, james at jamesramco.com. Just tell me what your plan is and I'll just tell you for free. There's no charge to this. I'll just tell you if I've seen it before or I think there's an angle or whatever. There's some that are harder than others and some that are good. And I also give away my membership training for free as well. So you can get that on my products page. In fact, I give away my top 10 courses for free. It's more about, at this point in life, it's about helping people find the right resource. And then if they're a really good fit and they want to do something, then that's fine. There's no obligation. There you have it. I think that's the future of business. And I think you're ahead of the curve indeed. Being able to help everyone else get up the ladder so that they actually have the lifestyle, have a bit more of the type of work that they enjoy doing and uh, make more in the process as well. James, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. There's the final question I always like asking, and I would love to hear what your interpretation is. You are on the Selling with Love podcast, so I'd love to hear what does selling with love mean to you? Well, you know, I've sort of learned a less emotional version of selling, which is interesting, but I think it could be turned into the emotional version. I've learned that selling is just a transaction, right? It's a process, like a chemistry lab process. It's a process of a change from the current situation to a better alternative situation. Now, I think the emphasis is on the word better. I'll never try and help someone move to a new situation if they wouldn't be better off. To your point about these certification coaches, (laughs) maybe they're doing some of that, moving people to a a debt position, but they're not actually going to be better off. That's bad. That's not selling with love, right? It's the opposite, the antithesis, I think the word would be. So for me, selling is just about helping people be better off. And I think there's a lot of love and integrity in that. If everything I do is with the intent, even if I send an email, I want someone to be better off for opening the email. I'm not going to be sending 16 emails at the deadline launch day. It's not my style. I don't want to pressure people. I don't want people to buy because there's risk reversal and they could get all their money back if they fail to put in any effort whatsoever and refuse to take responsibility. So, you know, I don't want to deny them a learning opportunity. (laughs) So, yeah, I think for me, selling is just helping people be better off, help them improve their situation and you should do everything in your power to help people be better off in business and you'll have a great business. I think that's a great definition of it. James, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with everyone here and for everything else that you share for absolutely free. Everyone be sure to go check out jamesshramco.com. All the resources that we've mentioned today are going to be available there. And of course, as you go out there and build your business or make your sales, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.